please bow with me in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for the chance to be together in the Sunday school class. We thank you for our church family and a chance to be together, to discuss together, and to seek you in all things. May you be present with us, we ask. May you grant us clarity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue our series that started two weeks ago on um, a movement that's somewhat hard to find, but... Uh, seems largely centered in Moscow, Idaho, at a church called Christ Church, Pastor Doug Wilson, um, and, but bigger than that, in many ways, uh, tied to uh, a denomination called the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, um, and last week we started uh, looking at their view of God's kingdom in this world, and we looked at Pastor Wilson's lecture on Hebrews chapter 11. My hope had been to do that in one week. That was a wishful thought, but this will be our last week, and then we'll move on to a couple other subjects before I hand things back over to Pastor Isaac. Uh, but there was a question this week about uh, my treatment of when Pastor Wilson said, uh, there is a Gnostic undertow in our our time, I'm sorry, the Gnostic undertone in our time is a strong one, and, and it is the easiest thing in the world here to imagine that Abraham was thinking about going to heaven when he died, just looking uh, for a city up in heaven, but that's not what he was talking about at all. When Abraham was looking for a city, he was looking forward in history in time toward what was promised. He was not looking toward the afterlife and, and fr trying to... Uh, zero in just on exactly what Pastor Wilson was saying. What the person had heard Pastor Wilson saying was that there is a time when we will be absent from the body, present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, in between our death and the return of Christ. And that's what Pastor Wilson was saying is not the ultimate goal. Now, um, that the, that the final state, the final state uh, is with the resurrection when Jesus returns. Um, and and, and that Pastor Wilson was not saying that the final state is Gnostic, where we have resurrected bodies and things like that. And, and Pastor, uh, the person then emailed Pastor Wilson, and, and Pastor Wilson clarified, yeah, looking toward uh, the resurrection of Christ and the general resurrection of all, is, and the eternal state is not Gnostic. He wasn't saying that's Gnostic. And, and if that's all Pastor Wilson was saying, then we all agree. But, but regarding the Gnosticism state, the quote, Pastor Wilson clarified saying it had to do with Abraham believing that he would go to heaven when he died without reference to the coming incarnation and all of redemptive history. And then Pastor Wilson says, I believe Abraham was looking forward, not up. Okay, so I don't know if that answers all the questions. But the Hebrews does say that, that the city Abraham was looking for was heavenly. And, and Hebrews will go on to say that that's the new Jerusalem, which Paul says is above. Now, Revelation 21 says it will come down on, on the last day onto earth. Uh, and so Abraham was looking above and forward both. And, and that's exactly what the scriptures command us to do. Uh, Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Um, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And now, so that's looking forward. So he's, that's look, look up. That's where Christ is seated. That's where the throne is. And look forward to the day when your glory appears and Christ returns. So I would say it's both. Uh, I would never say look forward and not up. I would say both. Um, all Christians believe that our bodies will be resurrected on the last day. All believe that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Where we disagree is what the new heavens and the new earth will look like, how and when they will come before or after the return of Jesus, and what uh, the means of their coming will be. And so that leads us to the other link that I sent out um, last week uh, from Pastor Toby Sumter. And uh, the link was from CrossPolitik, uh, uh, a podcast about Christianity and culture and politics. And at around minute 23, Pastor Sumter, uh, who's on staff at Christ Church in Moscow, uh, talks about the new heavens and the new earth. My wife thinks my thoughts before me and always better than I do. Um, and so the context leading up to the discussion, so he talks about um, the new heavens and the new earth, and the context leading up to that is uh, the world is a mess. What can we do? Uh, and it says, where do we have authority? Where do we have control? How do we start? Um, what can we do to imagine a hopeful future? And, and the guys say that biblical faith gives us a hopeful view of the future. The gospel will go forth, the nations will come to faith, and the world will get better. And so Pastor Sumter then turns to Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, and he starts reading verses 17 uh, through 19. I, I gave a handout last week. We're still on it. Um, where it says Isaiah 17. Or 65, 17 to 20. He starts with verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that, I in which, uh, in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it be heard, in, or no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And, and Pastor Sumter says, so most people think here heaven. He says, but keep reading. Verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be a curse. So he says, whoa, there's still death. This isn't heaven. And he says, so he says that the new heavens and the new earth start here while God is increasingly taking away our sorrows. This is how we at least begin to experience it. The new heavens and the new earth aren't eternal, but the stage before heaven uh, where people still die, uh, they, they might live to a few hundred or a couple thousand years old. 
but they die. And he says, that's the vision. That's as close as it gets to utopia. They're taming wolves and lambs and bringing peace among the animals. He says, sanctification isn't just individual, but across generations. As each generation is more sanctified than the one before it, the world gets better. Okay, so what do we do with Isaiah 65? Um, there are two ways to take this text. And the statement that one who dies at 100 years old is like a young man. It can either be literal, that people are still dying but living hundreds or thousands of years. Or it can be taken figuratively, that life is so long, eternal, that it would be like being an infant or a young man to die at 100s. So which is it? Well, I think there's two tests. Maybe you can think of more. I could think of two. The first test is, do the other things in this passage lead to a literal or a figurative reading? What does the context tell us? And then the second, and I think more important test, is what do other passages say about the new heavens and the new earth that might help? Uh, so the first test is, do other things in this passage lead to a literal or a figurative understanding? Well, verse 25 says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. Now, Pastor Sumter summarized these by saying, We'll domesticate and train animals to live in peace with each other. But it says that the, the lion will eat straw like an ox. That's more than domestication. That, that takes biological transformation to change how a carnivore is nourished and actually would take different teeth as well uh, to be able to chew grass. And the same would be true. Snakes, if they could be nourished on dust, that would be a different digestive system instead of rodents. Uh, what that sounds to me like is carnivores, animals that kill to eat, will no longer kill. Another way of saying, death shall be no more. And if that's the case, then saying 100 years would be a short life would be a similar way of, figurative way of saying, death shall be no more. Now, the second, and I believe more important test, what to do with other passages, uh, or what do other passages say that might help, would be, where else does the Bible talk about the new heavens and the new earth? Uh, two key passages, Revelation 21 and 2 Peter 3. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Which is what Isaiah 65, 19 says. Death shall uh, be no more. Seems to be interpreting Isaiah 65, 20. It says, neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Still quoting Isaiah 65, 19. And the reason is, for the former things have passed away, Revelation says. Uh, in other words, Revelation 21 is quoting Isaiah 65, 
But as it does, instead of saying the young man will die at 100, it says death will be no more. I believe it is giving us a Holy Spirit-inspired understanding of that statement in Isaiah 65, 20. Um, and so I take that as the Bible's authoritative, helpful explanation of what is going on, how we should read Isaiah 65. Second uh, Peter 3 talks about the final judgment and the second coming of Christ uh, in verses 1 through 4, and how the present heaven and, and earth are being kept until the day of judgment, verses 5 through 7, and that the Lord is simply being patient, not rushing that day of judgment so that people have time to repent and be saved, verses 8 through 10. And then in verse 11 through 13, it says this, since all these things, the present heaven and earth, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Uh, for the new heaven and the new earth to come... The old has to pass away. It has to dissolve and burn. Uh, they can't come until the day of the Lord, the last day, when he returns. So, this is... What, why I'm going through all of this is because it gets at what we should expect in this world. None of us deny a new heavens and new earth. What we disagree is when, how, and what it looks like. My question is, what should we expect in this life? I was pleased to hear in, in both Pastor Sumter's uh, discussion and Pastor Wilson's lecture, they both said that sometimes victory looks like defeat. That sometimes, uh, you probably might have heard Pastor Wilson, he talks about the, the two martyrs being burned. And one of them, as he's getting ready to go to the fire, says, we've got them running now. <laughs> you know, it's like, and and. And I appreciate that they both said that, but as you listen or read across a host of resources, the common stance is victory usually looks like victory. Things are going to get better generation by generation. And I'd like to go over some passages about what we should expect in this world. Now, I can only do so much in just a few minutes, but I can always recommend more places to go if you want to see more. And so... I think it was April New Horizons, was it? So in the April New Horizons, and I sent out a link to the, to the article online, Pastor Steve Baugh, exegete extraordinary, uh, he's sitting right here, uh, <laughs> trying to embarrass him. Uh, Pastor Isaac's dad wrote an article for the April New Horizons on the kingdom of God. And in in a very, very short space, covered a lot of scripture, and it was just outstanding. And I highly recommend reading that. If you read it and you want to get more in depth, it was really just a Cliff Notes version of this book called The Majesty on High by Steve Baugh. I, I, very much worth reading. And if you don't like to read, he's sitting right there, and you can ask him to summarize it for you uh, at the break. Uh, no? Uh, <laughs> I 
So what does Revelation say to expect in the millennium? This, right, remember, uh, our views of the end times are usually a prefix attached to the word millennium. When is Jesus coming? Pre-millennium, before the thousand years spoken of in Revelation 20. Post, after uh, the, the millennium spoken of in Revelation uh, 20. Or awe, which is... Uh, saying, yeah, he'll come after that, but we have no visible glory in this world. Let me read the passage briefly. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 4. This is the passage that we're all wrestling with. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. There it is. Okay. A thousand years, Satan is bound so that he can't deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed and I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads and their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So all it says is that the Gentiles, uh, the nations, same word, will no longer be kept in darkness uh, but Gentiles will come to faith. Remember, uh, prior to the coming of Christ, you, you could count the number of Gentile converts in the Old Testament, you know, on, on two hands almost. You know, you've got Naaman, you've got Ruth, you've got Rahab. But God is working predominantly with the Jewish people. And so, so Revelation 20 says, the nations, the Gentiles, when already be kept in darkness, they'll come to faith. He says, they believe, they're beheaded, and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so the millennium is marked out in Revelation 20 by Gentile conversion and martyrdom. These are the things that we see. Uh, this is consistent with, with what gets introduced in, in many ways in John chapter 12. Jesus rides in Jerusalem on a donkey, and he's proclaimed to be king, verses 12 through 19. A few verses later, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That's that language that Revelation 20 is picking up on. So what do you think happens in between Jesus being pronounced king and announcing that, that Satan is going to be cast out, bound? What happens in between those two things, do you think? No, it actually happens after. Something, this is John 12. So it's, 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 but it's, it's in between those two episodes, Gentiles come and worship Jesus. And so the, the announcement that Jesus is king and that Satan is being cast out now is accented with Gentile conversion. Yes, Charlie. Is that, is that related to this parable? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's parallel to, like, if you open up, you see the angel coming down with the chain, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Into the four corners of the earth. This is really Zechariah, what, chapter 2? Zechariah 2? Zechariah. 
the chapters are artificial, so I can just say that the book of, I think it's Zechariah chapter 2, talks about plundering. Um, we are the plunder of, of Satan's house. And yes, this is, that's the parable of binding the strong man. Um, but what's interesting is as these Gentiles are coming and worshiping Jesus, as what is described in Revelation 20 is being fulfilled, Jesus simply says this, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, he's saying, this is it. This is, this is my kingdom. You might die. And that's okay. Um, in other words, following King Jesus and being part of his kingdom in this world means suffering. It means persecution. And, and the Bible teaches us all over the place to expect tribulation in this life. Uh, Revelation opens, and I think a lot of people miss this, chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle John addresses his readers as his partners in the tribulation and the kingdom, both present tense. He says these aren't mutually exclusive. These aren't separate things. We who are members of Christ's kingdom are undergoing tribulation in this world. That's our reality. And so Revelation unfolds. The first half is what's our perspective on earth? Well, we're suffering. We're being persecuted. We're being martyred. We're dying. He says, but let's look at it. The second half of Revelation is, well, let's look at it from heaven's perspective. The kingdom's going forth. People are believing. They're being saved into every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is victory. Looks like defeat, but it's actually victory. Um, I'm a little bit anxious right now because my New Testament professor is staring at me. Uh, <laughs> He's a wonderful friend. But uh, in other words, Revelation goes on and, and says, this is our perspective. There's going to be suffering. That's okay. Through that, God's kingdom is built. Is built through suffering. It's sort of like what, what Joseph says, what man means for evil, God intends for good. It's through the persecution of Christians in Jerusalem that they go out and take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so their attempt to extinguish it, it's like throwing water on a gas fire. Do you know what happens when you throw water on a, fuel on a gas fire? It spreads, exactly. And that's it. It looks like defeat, but it's actually victory. And so in other words, there is a parallel between all of creation and the individual Christian. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, I couldn't recommend enough. If you're looking for something to read this afternoon, just read through 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Eight times. And then make it an even ten. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? Satan. Yeah. Uh, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They can't see how glorious this is. Because they're blinded by Satan, the unbeliever. So God says he's doing something that's glorious in us and that unbelievers can't see. And he goes on, he says this, we are afflicted in every way. 
but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He says, we have to suffer all these things. We have to suffer death so that we can know life. We have to be crushed so we can go forward. Uh, even when a Christian is being put to death, God sees victory. The world can't see that victory, but we can. And then he goes on and he says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, I'm sorry, seems like the understatement of the world, right? This light and momentary affliction, being fed to lions, being set on fire, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is when the world looks around, it looks for the things that it can see, puts its hope in those, and they're all going to burn. We look at the things that can't End. They're not seen yet, but they're eternal. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-5 goes on, and it describes the personal journey of the Christian in very similar language to what we saw Hebrews 11 do uh, with, with uh, creation in, in general uh, last week. And, and, and so there's this parallel between the two. And what Jesus says is that this is what his kingdom is like. In Luke 17, they said, well, when's your kingdom coming and, and what are the signs of its coming? And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be seen or observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So this is present. Charlie. Um, so, with, with the, a few things that have been mentioned already, you mentioned Peter, mm -hmm. all things will be dissolved, mm -hmm. what you just said, it's all going to burn. Right. Can you clarify the annihilation view of creation versus the reformed view of creation? Yeah, uh, I can, let me, three views, how about that, okay? Um, let me try my best. And I, so annihilation makes me anxious because I, I don't, there are no Orthodox Christians, pre, post, mid, anything like that, or pre, post, or are, who believe in the annihilation of the, the physical universe and that heaven is non-physical. There are two views, and you'll find these within Reformed and outside of Reformed, uh, about the continuity of the present heavens and earth and the one to come. Some believe that, like I do, I'll, I'll give you my example. I believe that the present earth upon which we are living, we will live for eternity, but it will go through a transformation as radical as my body will. My body has to go through death and resurrection, and it will be given a physical glory. This is 1 Corinthians 15. I cannot enter into the kingdom of God physically, the, the new heavens and the new earth, until... 
My body has gone through that, that transformation. If I'm alive on the last day, in the twinkling of an eye, it will be glorified, but it will be as radical a transformation as death and resurrection. One sec. Uh, okay, go, go ahead. What, so how does that relate to the continuity between Christ's raised body and his flesh and blood body? Because he was raised imperishable after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. that, was the, that was the eternal body that he put on. Yeah. Within the heaven. So what, how does the continuity between his physical body that had the same marks and wounds mm -hmm. and that could eat food? Yeah. And then so with creation, which... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are five humans who can answer that question. Moses, Elijah, John, Peter, and James. They saw a glimpse of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Shining, glorious, white. We, that's all we're given. But first, first Corinthians 15 says we will all be like him. And we have to be transformed in order to enter. So, we will be flesh and blood, but not in the image of Adam's, the first creation, we will be glorified. I, I've got to... I'm trying to draw the, the dots together. I'm trying to draw them. Yeah, no problem. And that the sentiment that this is not our own requires more nuance if this puts on glory. Yeah, so let me try to get there. Okay, so... We all agree, all Christians believe that. If you don't believe that, you've excised 1 Corinthians 15 out of your Bible, that we all have to be transformed, right? Okay, that we will be raised, our bodies will be raised from the grave, whether they've been just decayed or if we've just been dead for five minutes or whatever, and will be transformed into his glorious physical image. Uh, this is uh, what the Bible says is that so what I believe, sorry, about the new heavens and new earth is that our creation, our present creation, will go through a similar transformation. He says fire, right? So, so Peter says, before the flood there was one world, after the flood there's a new world. He doesn't mean that it's physically different. He just means it's radically transformed through like death and resurrection. And, I, and, I, and then Peter says the last day will be similar but through fire this time. And so I think he's saying is that the fire will refine and, and bring out a new reality but that the stuff will be the same but glorified. Others believe no, it will be burned up and out. Create, God will create a new heavens and earth out of nothing to replace it. Ex nihilo. Ex nihilo, yeah. yeah. Um, you'll find both inside and outside of Reformed churches. They're both within. Um, and so where I would differ it is with like what Pastor Sumter said is that it's not gradual right? and what are the means to get there Mine is, it is radical and immediate. It's not sudden at the end. At the end. But we can, Twinkling of an eye. We can say that eternity does take place here with a creation that is put on glory. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and here and all that, what does that mean? We're all trying to do the best we can to, to aim at it without being too specific. I, as Calvin said, when the mouth knows not where it speaks, it's best used for chewing. Okay. So we speak where God's word has, but not beyond. Yeah. Um, this is, so this is where I'm headed. So, um, so, so Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. Uh, if it were, uh, my, my servants would be fighting for me. Uh, and this is what he rebuked Peter for. Put the sword away. That's not what my kingdom looks like in this world. Um, 
Peter's saying the same thing is, is true of the entire creation. We, must have to, we have to go through this radical, momentary, quick, and decisive transformation. Uh, and so, so what do we wait for until then? Well, Jesus sets the expectation that Christians should expect suffering in this life. Uh, I'm just going to blaze through a number of verses. They're, they're there in your, your handout. But I, I just want to get the flavor of Scripture. Uh, John 16, speaking to his disciples in the upper room, he says, I've said these things to you that you may... That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. John 15, uh, you are not of this world. I have called you out of this world. Uh, don't be surprised that it hates you. It hated me. John 3, uh, 1 John 3, do not be surprised when the world hates you. 2 Timothy 4.3, uh, there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itching ears. 1, Peter, I mean, 1 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the promise. Uh, suffering with Jesus, according to Romans 8, is a prerequisite for entering into glory. Um, he says we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I want to be careful. So that's the expectation. I want to be careful here. Does that mean we don't seek to help society or we don't pray to live in peace? Do we, do we desire suffering? Is that it? Is it like, I'm going to go find somebody to beat me up for Jesus today? Um, no, not at all. Uh, second, uh, 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for our leaders that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray that we won't be fed to the lions, burned. We're to seek peaceful lives. And so far as we are able, we are to work toward that. Hebrews 11 says that we are exiles on this earth in the first creation. It's not our home. And Jeremiah tells us how to live as exiles. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray, the, pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. In its welfare, you will find welfare. This is labor and, and work hard in, in society to make, that it might be better and not worse. But never confuse that with your homeland and never confuse that with your kingdom. And don't be surprised when things get worse. Um, when times are good and when they're easy and comfortable, the church, quite frankly, tends to get lazy and apathetic. And so God uses trials to refine us. Trials are good for the church because they produce holiness. We saw this last week in Malachi. The Bible doesn't tell us to seek trials, but it tells us not to be surprised when they come. It tells us to expect them. And it even tells us to learn to appreciate them. Okay. I want to tie a bow around this, so... So if the Bible doesn't identify a future period of peace and prosperity as God's kingdom, if the kingdom is ultimately about the new heavens and the new earth after the return of Christ, if the kingdom can't be physically entered until Christ returns and our bodies are glorified, is there any sense in which we experience it on earth? And if so, how?
Where does the confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, say we experience the kingdom of God? Say it louder, Joy. In church, In church yeah. Um, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, paragraph 2, says that the visible church, it goes on, says, It is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Charlie. So with the hand that you've given us to sides where you say the Amma position holds that the church, the kingdom, has no visible glory. Mm-hmm. How do we square that with even the confession here where it says the visible church is the kingdom? Yeah. And in things where like Revelation says that the adorning of of the kingdom of yeah. righteous deeds. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where we kind of get hung up between the two camps. Right. You would, you know, you know, say against them that we would explain it differently. But looking at the handout, that almost looked like an argument that proved too much. Where no, the church yeah. Is, the church is yeah. physical. Jesus isn't denying the visible church when he says you, the kingdom doesn't come with any visible signs. Yeah, yeah. He's just saying it doesn't come with comfort. It doesn't come with, with global peace. It doesn't come with these things. It, it, the church is suffering in this world. It's the same thing he says about our bodies in 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah, I, outside I'm withering away. Is it fair to say that her righteous deeds are the glory, let your light shine before all men? Um, like what, is that? what is the light? Christ is the light of the world. I would not say our... Uh, how would I say that? I would not say that our, our deeds are the glory of Christ's kingdom. I would say Christ is the glory of his kingdom. Um, and we will not experience glorification as a church until he returns. Final. Like the, the, the final I mean glory. visible. What does that mean? It's, 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 as, it's as distinct as my body glowing white and people shutting their eye from it. But our good works are not the glory. There. Are our works, they're, they're part of Christ's glory, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, isn't that part of Christ's glorious work in us? But the, but the world doesn't look at us and go, there's the glory of the kingdom. Well, Christ they laugh at us. Yeah. So is that, is that the glory of the kingdom? Uh, this is what I've been wrestling with all week. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. And, and what the, the Bible is telling us is there is a glory coming that is unmistakable, right? Um, we can see Christ's glory because our eyes aren't blinded, right? But the world can't. If, if I was living to be a thousand years old, the world would be like, something's going on, right? Um, why do Christians live ten times as long as us? Like, somebody becomes a Christian, suddenly he lives to a thousand years old, and I'm dying. That's something visible. Right now, if I, if I reflect Christ's glory in my works, maybe it would be a, a, a way to word that, the world goes, idiot, if you just cheated, you could make more money. Right? To them, it, it's mockery. Hey, goody two-shoes. Right? I get laughed at for that. That... There's a difference there. It's veiled. They can't see it because their eyes have been blinded. So, so Rachel and then John. Don't they sometimes see 
So, and I'd say yes and no. Um, so, okay, let me, all right, we're going to go a couple minutes over. Uh, I think when the Lord pulls their blinders off, that's one of the most attractive things. So we were out at the beach a couple weeks ago, and uh, Jen and the girls ran into this couple in the elevator. Didn't even talk to them, but they were just full of joy. And everybody's instinct was, I'll bet they're Christians, Right? It was just one of those things where it's like, they, they just were, they were full of joy. Um, and I think when the Lord is pulling the blinders off of people, they see that and they're like, they can because the blinders are pulled off. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most attractive things that leads people to Christ. I don't think when you're blinded, you can see that. John, real quick, and then I want to... just going to say... Um... Romans 18, or Romans 8, 18 through 28, I think, ties all that up together really well. Yeah. With the creation, suffering, L- long. Glory, condemnation, and then... Yeah, what's interesting is the language Paul uses, 2 Corinthians 5, for us in our bodies is, is identical to what he uses for creation in Romans 8 as a whole. It's that we all long for the transformation and, and, and whatnot. Real quick, because it's time, I'm, I'm, I, and I, I want to move on next week, uh, uh, real quick, what are my, what are my concerns? That's, that's, the, that's the big issue, right? What's the danger? What could possibly be the harm of looking for better days? Um, I've run myself into a corner on time, so I'm, let me just try to state these quickly, and then um, you can always talk to me individually later. There's a couple. Um, I think one of the dangers in looking for better days is to constantly think that the great danger the church faces is the world. It's not. What's the only thing the world can do to me? Kill me. That's all they've got. Like, that's the worst they can do. Who's the only one who can shipwreck my faith? Me. So who's my greatest threat? Me. Um, The worst thing a Christian could ever do is spend more time critiquing the government, society, and the media than confessing his or her own sins and praying for God's grace in his or her life. So I think one of the dangers is if, you, if, if what you're trying to do is get a better society is you're looking at society more than your heart. All they can do is kill you. That's the worst, right? Um, another danger is misspent energy. If you th- think the kingdom is something that's not, you'll spend time thinking you're building it when you're not. Jeremiah says, hey, look, pray for the welfare of the city, help them out, but don't think you're building your eternal home. Um, we have things to do on this earth, but we don't want to confuse the things that are kingdom building and the things that aren't. Um, Peter thought he was defending Christ's kingdom when he drew the sword and cut off the servant's ear because that's what he thought of the kingdom, pushing back uh, an oppressive government. How we think of the kingdom affects how we seek it. Um, we should be productive, but, but kingdom building is calling people out of the world to Christ, calling them into the church, baptizing them, nurturing them, discipling them into maturity. 
Um, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against powers and principalities. Um, but I think the biggest danger, if I can be really honest, is unmet expectations. If God hasn't promised a glorious future, then those expectations will never be met. And what's the danger with unmet expectations? Disillusionment, discouragement, feelings of betrayal. Uh, if, you, if you teach Christians that better times are right around the corner, that can have terrible results when it doesn't happen. And so we need to be preparing ourselves and our children for affliction and for tribulation. They need to be prepared to experience God's promise that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what we need to prepare for. And this is what the Bible tells us. We are strangers and exiles on earth. We are seeking a homeland. We desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called our God for he has prepared for us such a city. And so that's my... I want to go on and talk about in the next couple of weeks some of the means that this, this vision for the future is seen to be obtained. But I was just trying to set up in these first couple um, lessons, where do we see things headed and what is our goal? And um, what are we to expect? That's, that's it. And, and then and I'll try to tease out a couple more things in, in uh, two or three more Sundays before I hand things back to Pastor Isaac. Next week, I want to just look at marriage. Uh, the week after that, children and, and child raising. But that's, those, those are my concerns. That Where are we spending our time and energy? What are the expectations we are setting? And how are we preparing our children um, to suffer? I'm going to close in prayer. I, I know I didn't give a ton of time for questions. I, I, I've already chewed into Isaac's Sunday School series more than he was expecting me to, so I'm trying to be somewhat, but we can always talk privately. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your good word and your sober warning on what to expect. This world uh, means affliction for your children because we are strangers and exiles in this world. But though it's the worst they can do to us. They can destroy the body, but not the soul. And so we praise you that there is a glorious day coming when you will come and you will raise the dead and you will call those still living that know you to yourself. And in the twinkling of an eye, all things will be made new. And we will see your kingdom in a way we have never even anticipated or imagined. And so we praise you. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, 13 minutes and then uh, worship.